welcome to the Well Community Jokes. That was great. Hey everybody, nice to see you here. Um, I know many of you and uh, others, it might just be the mask, but uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really glad to see you guys. Good to see, see you, good to be with you today. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to uh, sharing what I've got on my heart here and uh, what we're going through. Uh, so I know that uh, last week Kevin said, you know, that uh, we're working on this together, right? We're doing this series together. I am uh, Jesus in his own words, as he's just sort of explaining uh, himself by using this term I am, and it's a very meaningful term. Um, and so, yeah, uh, there's one week where I'll be speaking to you, and then I'm actually doing this same message uh, tomorrow uh, in three services at Gateway, which is great. So usually the first service is the guinea pig service, and that's where we make all the mistakes, but the first service is going to be amazing tomorrow, and you guys are going to say, man, it wasn't that good, but oh well. Yeah, so just want to say too, like, you know what, what a pleasure it is to uh, be able to, to mentor Kevin a little bit. Of course, we just love uh, Kevin and Amanda. We think you guys are just so well led. And, and uh, thank you too for all that you do just to give and to pray and to serve as you build up this local church here in Bimbrook. We're really excited for you guys. So great to be with you here. Um, yeah, we're working on it together, so there's going to be some messages that I write and Kevin will sort of tweak as he did last week, other messages where he'll write it and I'll sort of tweak what he said. We can share some ideas and resources, but also put our own spin on it, of course. And uh, so, uh, and then you'll have Wes, you'll hear from Wes next week, which is, as Chris said, is amazing. So here we go with Jesus in his own words. Now, in case you didn't know this, um, the Apostle John loves the numbers three and the number seven. So John, who wrote the book of Revelation, you know, got, you got three sevens. You got seven seals and seven uh, trumpets, and you've got seven golden bowls. Well, what you don't maybe know, though, is that the same kind of factor uh, is at play here in the book of John. In John's gospel, you've got seven miracles, you've got seven witnesses, and you've also got seven statements, I am statements. And so we're looking at these I am statements where Jesus says, I'm the gate, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the vine, I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, I'm the light of the world. Last, time, last week we talked about uh, statement number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And today we're gonna look at the very first I am statement which shows up in John chapter six where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And you probably know this, or maybe you do, that uh, Jesus says this sort of in conjunction with his fourth miracle uh, where he feeds the 5,000. Okay, so that's where we get our Bible reading for today. And if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there to John chapter 6, verses 25 to 35. And uh, you can look it up in your Bible or if you've got your phone app there. John chapter 6, verses 25 to 35. I'll give you a moment to find the passage and take an awkward drink of water while um, I do that. Used to be you would know when people found the passage because the pages would stop flipping, but now you don't know because people are on their, their phones. But uh, I'll, just, I'll just assume you found it. So here we go, John chapter 6, 25, it says, when they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will, what will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who, who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So we'll just stop right there. So here's what I want to talk to you about today. As humans, we all do one thing. Well, we all do many things, but here's one thing we all do. We all crave. We have this human experience. The moment you came out of the womb, you want things. You desire. You have uh, yearning and longing. Uh, you crave stuff, okay? And our bodies crave things like food and drink and uh, shelter and sunlight and sleep. But there are cravings that we all have that are even deeper than our physical needs, really. Uh, psychological and spiritual cravings that we have, right? And uh, there's an actually an excellent book called Soul Cravings by an author named Erwin McManus. And there he describes three core human cravings. Uh, intimacy, meaning, and destiny. Intimacy, meaning, and destiny. So first of all, intimacy. All of us long to love and be loved, to, to know and to be known, right? And uh, from the moment that you came out of the womb, you needed more than just milk from your mother. You also needed her touch. You know, when she nursed you, it wasn't just sustenance. You wanted to feel her love right from the beginning. I remember uh, 20 years ago, I walked in on my wife, Krista, on an, uh, it was an October night, uh, just about a day after our son Ethan was born and Krista, my wife, was breastfeeding Ethan and the look on her face was pure rapture, pure delight, just unadulterated love. And she just, felled, uh, just fed him and held him and loved him, you know, and, and uh, it struck me as a little unusual when you think about it because this little guy had just caused her the, the greatest of pain for an entire sleepless night, right? And uh, this little guy had to offer her, moving forward, uh, two consistent things, poopy diapers and sleepless nights, you know? And yet, she loved him with an unremitting love, even though he was completely undeserving of it, right? And he was the most self-absorbed person on the planet. And let's just say, in that moment, I'm, I'm glad that Krista didn't have to choose between me and that baby, because... I know who would have lost that. Friends, you may not recognize, right, that you have this desire for intimacy, to love and be loved, to know and to be known. And you may not even uh, understand really what intimacy is, because maybe intimacy is something that has always kind of eluded you, right? And if that's the case, my heart breaks for you, because you've probably been searching for intimacy in a way that really won't satisfy ultimately. I mean, how many, how many young people, right, just hungry for intimacy have sought that through multiple sexual hookups and, until they realized it doesn't really satisfy, 
because it's not intimacy. And here's the deal. So it goes like this. There's a deep desire for an intimacy that you have that just will never go away. And no matter how much money you may have, how, how nice your truck is, right? No matter how many rental properties you own or how many surface relationships you have, you long to belong, right? That's not going to go away because that's a God-given desire. Here's the second thing. We all crave meaning. So all of us want to locate our story within a greater story that makes our life matter, that gives our life gravity and meaning. Of course, in a secular society then, that longing for meaning is always going to be difficult to satisfy because if there's no God, if there's no heaven, if this is kind of all there is, then one day, let's face it, right? Like, we don't, we don't like to think about this, but one day the sun will die out and life on the third rock from the sun will finally cease and the last human being uh, will breathe their final breath and nobody will be around to remember that there was once this thing called the human race. Nobody will be around to remember that, you know? Let alone you in your life, right? Uh, actually, it won't even take that long for you because how many of you know the names of your great-grandparents? You do, right? But not very many. Your great-great-grandparents? Um, three generations is generally all it takes for your memory to be obliterated. <laughs> three generations until the sandcastle of your life is eroded by the tides of time, you know? Like, just being honest with you. So it, actually, it won't even take that long because you could pass away tomorrow and in two weeks you replace him at work would be doing just fine, right? And a Mack truck, and I don't know why it's always a Mack truck, it has to be a Mack truck, but it's a Mack truck, but a Mack truck could come along and wander into my lane on the way back, you know, home tonight, uh, heaven forbid, and tomorrow morning Gateway Church would have three wonderful Sunday morning services, you know, without me. Isn't that amazing? So, like, just to be brutally honest with you, despite all of this supposed evidence that our life doesn't really matter, there's still this longing inside every human heart that vehemently disagrees with that, right? That our life does matter, and we know it deep down. And look at, I mean, it doesn't matter how many houses, it doesn't matter how many nice cars or dollars or cottages or boats that you try to stuff into your life to give it meaning, that feeling doesn't go away until it's satisfied. We have this persistent craving to live in a way that is going to be um, bigger than ourselves, that will outlast our earthly existence. Ecclesiastes 3.11 puts it this way, that God has set eternity in the human heart. And um, we crave then the meaning that only forever can provide us with. C.S. Lewis put it this way, I'm gonna paraphrase. He said, you know what? If you find in yourself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then consider the possibility that you were made for another world. <laughs> um, the moment that you first became self-aware and you took your first journey on the search for meaning, whether you know it or, or not, your life has been ever more shaped by that search for significance. Here's a third thing we all crave, which is destiny. So there's this deep, deep down desire for us to be more than we are presently. 
Um, there's this nagging sense that all of us are sort of a caterpillar crawling through the dirt, but we were made to one day rise like butterflies. And that's why amusements leave us feeling empty. Um, and and by, the word, the, by the way, the word amuse, um, it has an interesting meaning, amusement. Um, so it starts with the letter A, which often means non-existence or, or uh, not, or the opposite of. So for example, atheist is a person who doesn't believe in theism or God. Or an, uh, an asexual person means someone who's not sexual, or an amoral means someone or something that's not moral. The word muse means to think. And so amusement means what? To not think. Yeah, exactly. And so, look at I'm not saying I'm against amusement per se, but I'm just saying we've never had so much of it, you know, as we do right now in this moment of history, amusement. And what happens is all of the thinking time, you know, is sort of gobbled up with amusement, whether it's movies or music or whatever. And I can't tell you how many young people particularly I know, they're amused to death. Um, <laughs> They're just spending day and night on their phone and, and it just feels so hollow, so empty. If you listen to them, I would suggest to you that we feel that way because we were made for more than amusement, you know? And uh, there's this destiny of greatness that await, uh, awaits us, but we're frittering it away in 24-7 you know, amusement. And, and that's why no matter how many YouTube videos you consume, no matter how many movies you watch, uh, no matter how many vacations you take, we love you, Kevin. Uh, no matter how many concerts, <laughs> no matter how many concerts you attend, right, or whatever, or shows you go to see, there's just always going to be a deep sense of unrest because you know deep down, you know, there's got to be more to life than this. We all crave this destiny of greatness to become more than what we presently are. Erwin McManus puts it like this. He says, you were designed for hope. Your soul needs hope like your body needs water. There's a life God has for you. There's a calling, a mission, a purpose, a destiny. Not something set in stone that you can't avoid, but something that is wooing you and calling you like a lighthouse in the storm. So with these three soul cravings in mind, let's turn our attention now to the events of chapter 6 in John's Gospel. So um, the first part of the chapter, uh, Jesus performs this miracle of feeding the 5,000. And there's this huge, huge crowd of people. They've been following Jesus because he's a miracle worker. He heals sick people. So why don't we go follow that guy, right? And Jesus uh, feeds them one day because they're out in the middle of nowhere and there's no food around and the 7-Eleven is closed. And so he multiplies a few loaves and a few fish. And something for us to note is that there are obvious connections with this miracle in John 6 and the uh, stuff that happened when Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. Uh, so back in sort of like Exodus and uh, Leviticus numbers and Deuteronomy. And so Jesus, by feeding the 5,000, is reminding them about the days when God gave the Israelites food to eat from heaven while, while they were wandering through the wilderness. 
To begin with, uh, John uh, says in verse 2 that there was this great big crowd of hungry people. And the last time we see that, uh, we saw that in the Bible was when the people were under the leadership of Moses and they're making their way through the promised land. The people are hungry and there's lots of them. And then in verse 3, it says that they were at a mountainside. And that reminds us that uh, Moses led the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea and took them, first of all, to Mount Sinai. Verse 4 says that the Jewish Passover was near, which is an important detail. Again, just giving us another connection with Moses and the Israelites and their journey through the wilderness. So now Jesus multiplies bread for them to eat, which is just an obvious connection to the manna that showed up, those little wafers uh, that showed up on the ground every day as Moses was leading them through the wilderness. The people called it the bread from heaven. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I always wondered, why did Jesus multiply fish? Because, you know, everybody needs a balanced diet. You've got your carbs. You've got your protein. But why fish and not? Well, what would you expect? Again, what would you expect Jesus to multiply if he was trying to sort of replicate and remind them of what God did in the wilderness? Can anybody help me here? What was the protein on the table? Quail, that's right. So Jesus got it wrong, you know? Should have multiplied quail if he really wanted to do a good job. So I always wondered that, right? It always kind of bugged me. I thought, well, it's not neat and clean. Oh, well, I'll find out when I get to heaven. But then I went back and I read in Numbers chapter 11. And do you know what the protein was that the Israelites asked God for back then? You know, they were like, man, back when we were in Egypt, we had it so good. We had some delicious. Do you remember what they asked for? Do you, do you know what they wanted? You do now. Fish. They said, we remember we had this great fish. They must have pulled it out of the Nile River or something, right? And God didn't give them what they asked for back then. But now, so the point of Jesus' miracle is that, you know, Moses wasn't able to give you what you crave, but Jesus delivers. You know, it's pretty cool, really, full circle. Uh, so after Jesus feeds the 5,000, which was more like with men and women and children and stuff, probably more like 15,000. Anyhow, in verse 12, Jesus told his disciples to pick up all of the leftovers so that nothing would be wasted, which is a reminder as well that the manna wasn't to be wasted. You may remember that they were only to collect cer a certain amount because if it was left over, it would turn rotten. So none of, us uh, none of it was to be kept overnight. Anyhow. Right after this miracle, Jesus uh, appears to his disciples um, as they're uh, making their way across the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Jesus, uh, Kevin talked a bit about this last week. And if you remember, what did Jesus say to his disciples when he's walking to them on the Sea of Galilee, walking on the water? Um, our English translations often have Jesus saying, it is I, don't be afraid. But actually the literal words of Jesus go like this. I am, be not afraid. And, and, and that reminds us of how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. So back in Exodus chapter three, Moses said, uh, you know, hey God, who are you? Like, I mean, what is your name? Uh, what do I tell them back there about the person that sent me? And God said, I am who I am. And the technical term that describes this aspect of God's character is his aseity, um, a 
if you want to write notes down, A-S-E-I-T-Y, God's aseity. It means that God is sufficient in himself. He is who he is. Um, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing far apart all other things, even apart from time. And so whenever Jesus says, I am, like he did um, on the stormy sea, he's saying, you know, I am fully God. I am fully divine. That's his claim, even as he's fully human. And so uh, just like God, who led the people of Israel, safely parted the churning Red Sea, Jesus leads his disciples uh, on, on the stormy sea of Galilee. Very similar stories. He is the great I am. So there's lots and lots going on here in the sixth chapter of John. John uh, says that Jesus feeds 5,000, then Jesus walks on water, and, and he's reminding the people of how God saved the Israelites back in the days of Moses. And so Jesus, here's the point. Jesus is a new and improved Moses, you know? And he improves on what Moses did. He's a new and improved deliverer of Israel, of God's people. Now, for the rest of the chapter, uh, Jesus really wants to help unpack the meaning of what he's done. Because listen, Jesus doesn't do anything, um, whatever, willy-nilly. Like he's got a purpose for what he does, right? And he's not just giving them food and meeting their physical needs. Not that that would be a bad thing. But he's also offering them spiritual sustenance. And, and this leads to the passage that we read just a moment ago. John 6, 25 to 35. So when the people uh, that... Jesus just fed here, that he's on the other side of the lake. They jump in some boats and they catch up with them. And they're like, hey, where did you go? And, and Jesus answered, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because um, of the sign I performed, but because you had some loaves and ate your fill. So Jesus is saying, you're here to get filled up again. And Jesus continues to say, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And so Jesus is saying, look it, you've got greater needs than food and water, right? Um, Jesus says, I wanna satisfy the needs that we began by talking about, the need for intimacy, the need for um, meaning, the, the need for uh, destiny. Jesus says, I wanna satisfy your heart. And he wants to give us himself. But the people who are following Jesus, just because, you know, like he fed them, they don't understand how this works. They asked him, what, what must we do to do the work that God requires, you know? And they think, you know what, I got to do something here. I got to do something to earn God's love, right? And that's basically how pretty much every religion in the world goes, is that, you know, there's a system. And if you fulfill the system, then you'll earn God's love. God withholds his love from us until we do the system and then God will love you. And that's because deep down we all think that love is a conditional thing. And so we're gonna do whatever it takes, whatever the system demands. If our religion tells us to follow the rules and then God will love you, then we'll obey that. Even though we all know, here's the weird thing, we all know that's not how relationships work, right? Like, I mean, parents, if your kid came to you tomorrow and said, look, I know I was a real brat yesterday, so today, I'm gonna clean my room so that you can love me again. Is that how it works? Is that what you do? You'd be like, oh yeah, that's how it is. No, of course not. 
Or if your you know, spouse came to you and said, okay, look at I know I said something two days ago that was absolutely horrible. Here's $200, you can forgive, forgive me and we'll forget about it. Is that how relationships work? Is that, is that how you guys operate, Chris, Alex? Not normally. No. no. <laughs> You'd be out of money, man. You wouldn't have anything. <laughs> So Jesus replied to this question, what do we have to do to get loved by God? He says this, the work of God is this, the quote work, to believe in the one that he sent. In other words, there's nothing you can do. You just believe, you just trust, you just receive this free gift of God's forgiveness of God's grace. You know, it's kind of like the lover in the Song of Songs. Jesus tells us that God is actually going up and down the streets traveling some of the most remote roads and crashing through the untamed wilderness in the most desolate of places, searching for the one he loves. You think he's locked up in a upper chamber, reluctant to love you, and it's the exact opposite. He's beating the bushes to love you, every human being that walks the face of the earth. Can you imagine what would happen if people really lived out and discovered the message of Jesus? God's love is unconditional. What would change in your life if you realized that God is not waiting for you to earn his love, but God is pursuing you with his love, and all you have to do is say, thank you. You might be saying, yes, Steve, but how do I know that God is pursuing me? And the answer to that question is pay attention to your cravings. Pay attention to the desire that God made you with for intimacy and meaning and destiny because God is speaking to you through those cravings. I believe God is calling you through your desires to something higher. God is inviting you to draw near to him and to find your satisfaction in him. You know, sometimes at the season of Lent, right, we get ready for Easter and sometimes people will fast from something, like give something up at Lent. And, uh, you know, it's not a law or anything, but it's a, great, it's a great thing to do. And as long as you do it for the right reasons, right? Because I, I'm afraid that a lot of people fast from chocolate or Netflix or whatever for Lent because they think God will love me, God will listen to me, God will do what I want. But that's not how fasting works. Fasting is helpful when you realize this, that you're longing for food or chocolate or Netflix, I don't know. Fasting is helpful when you realize that your longing for something is a reminder that you actually have a deeper longing. That you long to, to know God, to be known by him, to find your meaning in him, to find your destiny in his presence. And so you spend time with God when you fast in prayer and worship and, and in the word not to earn God's love, but to actually remember that the cravings that you have are pointing you in his loving direction, that he's pursuing you through those cravings. You find in his presence a satisfaction for meaning and intimacy and destiny that, that you couldn't find apart from him. So let your cravings for intimacy and meaning and destiny point you toward this God who's pursuing you with his love. So, so many times I'll notice I'm craving something that's really not important, not helpful. You know, like I crave shopping some, sometimes, which is crazy. I never used to like shopping, but as I get older, I want to go to, um, you know, Bass Pro, or I want, to, I want to go to Canadian Tire, and I just want to get something, even if I don't need it, right? Or 
Um, sometimes I just crave being on my phone watching dumb videos of ice fishing or kayaking. Or I crave sometimes just these snacks at night and it's not food I need. I just, I crave stuff. I, I think what I need to do in those moments is learn to ask, why am I craving these things? And are these just maybe a smokescreen for the real craving, the deeper craving to meet with God? Perhaps God is calling me through my cravings to spend just more time in his loving presence because he's pursuing me. That's just a thought for you guys to consider. So uh, actually this morning I, w I went to a funeral in Simcoe that uh, it, it was over right around lunchtime and my stomach was craving. I was feeling hungry because I, I skipped breakfast. And so I don't know if you ever know that sometimes your hunger will prompt you to do things you shouldn't do. Have you ever had that? Yes, I went to McDonald's. <laughs> Sorry. And in much the same way, perhaps, you know, you're craving, whether it's for your phone uh, or shopping or amusements or, or maybe even darker things like porn. Maybe it's an invitation for you to skip that fast food and, and, and to go to the real meal that it points toward, the thing that your heart really craves, which is just to be known by God and to know him more. Uh, to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said, hey, you know what I'm talking? I'm knocking at the door of your heart. I'm waiting for you to open the door so that we can have a connection, so that we can enjoy a satisfying meal together. And here in John chapter 6, Jesus says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven. It gives life to the world. And they're like, give us this bread. And then Jesus said, I'm right here. I am the bread of life. And if you come to me, you won't be hungry. And if you believe in me, you won't be thirsty. And so Jesus says, here, here are my own words. Here's who I am. And here's the main point. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy that emptiness in your heart for, for the cravings of intimacy and meaning and destiny. And here's your response. Draw near to him today. You know, he's pursuing you. Draw near to him. I want to just quickly ask the question, what are some next steps of faith that, that you know, we can take with Jesus if he's the bread of life? And I have a couple of suggestions, starting with this. Number one, pay attention to your soul cravings this week. Just pay a little more attention to them. And if you're craving things that you know will never satisfy your soul, ask them if they're pointing you toward a deeper craving, a deeper longing, a, an intimate connection with Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus uh, at, yet, I would encourage you to take that first step of faith. Just invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Like, it's, it's really simple. Um, we're finding that more and more people are coming to faith uh, these days around Gateway Church, which is exciting. Uh, you go through seasons where this happens. Um, last Sunday, we had a guy on Sunday morning come up and be prayed for, and we led him to faith in Christ. And then later on in my office in that week, I met with a, a young man, and I... Uh, led him also to the Lord. And it's really simple. It's as easy as ABC. Uh, to get started on, you know, inviting Jesus into your life goes like this. A, you admit that you're a sinner, which I'm sure you can all do. B, you believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins, and that, you know, by rising from the dead, he gives you the hope of, of, of eternal life. And so, A, you admit you've sinned. B, believe in Jesus. And then C, you commit your life to follow him a little more, to get to know him, to love him. And uh, that's our, our joy here at the well, is to equip you for the journey of following Jesus. And, uh, and the other thing I'll say is that you are, if you already are a follower of Jesus, 
then uh, you know, I just encourage you to take some time to be with Jesus this week. You know, reading the word, but not in a legalistic way, like check, you know, but in a way that you get a connection with Jesus, like you hear from him through the scriptures or pray to him, but not just in a one directional way, but learn to pray in a way that, that listens for his promptings and that speaks through your cravings. I love this quote. Uh, there's this uh, guy who said this, we are silent at the beginning of the day because God should have the first word. And we are silent before going to sleep because the last word also belongs to God. Isn't that great? Who do you think said that? Does anybody know? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German uh, theologian and pastor. Um, and so that's the next step is to pay attention to your soul cravings and to draw near to God. And here's another idea, last idea. Help others to find the bread of life. You know, um, when I was a kid, I had this preacher, and unlike Pastor Kevin, our preacher when I was a kid, he wasn't a very good preacher. Like, he was a great evangelist, he was great at pastoral care, but he couldn't preach to save his life. But um, when he was running out of material, he would often repeat himself, and he had a couple of good lines. And one thing he often said uh, when he was lost up there a little bit was he would say Christianity is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread I don't know if you've heard that before it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread and I thought that's a really good um, thing is that with the bread of life when you've been satisfied what you want to do the next thing is to share it with somebody else and so this week you know um, take and, and, and share with somebody as God leads you the bread of life with someone that, that doesn't know Jesus. Some of you know there's this 14-year-old girl who's part of our Gateway family who is at SickKids right now. She's awaiting her third lung transplant, and uh, her name is Tanika Jacobs. And uh, so we've been praying for Tanika over the years since she was eight years old, and she just needs our prayer so much. So she awaits another set of lungs at SickKids, and, um, and she's been living at a rehabilitation hospital near SickKids in Toronto, but. The last time I visited Tanika, she was there at the rehabilitation hospital, and uh, first thing she said, can, can I give you a hug? And I was like, of course, Tanika. So I gave her a big hug, and then she told me that she misses church, and she misses the music, and, and she misses people, and uh, most of all, she misses her dogs. And uh, I cried, and I told her that we miss her, and I promised that I would bring her dogs to her for a day, and we. We followed up on that. We did it two weeks later. And then Tanika showed me all of the Valentine's Day cards that she had, a great big stack that she was sending to all of her friends to let them know that she loves them and that God loves them. And when you talk to her, she doesn't talk about herself. She talks about other people. And if she cries, she doesn't cry for herself. She cries for other people if they're not doing well. And before Tanika had to go to Toronto, she was attending our youth program. Access is our senior high program that meets on Wednesday nights. And it was always the highlight of her week was going there. It was the one thing that she could do and get out of the house. And so one night after access, she came up and she talked to, to Wes, and Pastor Wes, and she said, do you think I could be like a BLAST leader? Now BLAST is our junior high program that meets on Tuesday nights. And Wes said, of course, but tell me, like, why do you want to be a, a BLAST leader? And Tanika said something along the lines of this, and I'm gonna read you exactly what Wes told me she said because I think I have a lot to give to the students with what I've experienced. I'm ready to die. This is a 14 year old kid, right? I'm ready to die. 
And like, not in a weird way, but no matter what happens, I'm excited to go and be with Jesus. And I want to share that hope and that message. That's what she said. Isn't that incredible? Friends, once you've eaten of the bread of life, the next thing you want to do is give it to somebody else and tell them about the hope that you have. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, I, I pray that we would all recognize that the soul cravings you've given us are beautiful gifts that are designed to point us in the direction of the bread of life that will satisfy. Help us, Lord, to get to know Jesus today. And if, Lord, there's one person here who needs to make that decision to follow Jesus, I pray they would do that. With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, you may want to just pray a simple prayer that goes like this. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe in you, Jesus. You died for my sins. And you were raised to give me the hope of eternal life. And I commit my life to following you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you.